accomplished so that your will be done. I think I've already prayed so much over this night and over this word, but Lord, that you would powerfully lock people in to give you their best ear and full attention. Lord, that you, you would help us let light shine, light of truth and revelation shine and dispel any darkness, any lies of the enemy bring truth. Let your living seeds go out sown in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives watered by the Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Let it come, Lord. Your hammer that's breaking down every stronghold, your sword that's cutting away what needs to go. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so where I'm going with this series, I, I'm just basically going to start something that I don't know how long this is going to go. It actually could go a long time. But my goal is with this series, and I encourage you guys to try to be here. I realize sometimes somebody may be out of town or something. I understand that. But try to listen to it, even if you listen to a recording. Because what I'm going to do for the next while, and it, this could be a large part of this year, honestly, I'm going to try to break down end-time prophecy and other aspects of things that, as a pastor, I need to teach you just about um, walking in victory, the basics in these last days, uh, you know, basics of Christian living, some, some aspects of understanding our Hebrew roots, symbolism. But I'm going to take this slow, and I'm going to try to condense the information down to where I'm not giving too much at a time. And I'm hoping by the end of this series, which it could be a while, that everybody will really have a firm grasp on end-time prophecy. What the Bible's saying is coming in the future and how to study it. Because honestly, it is such an in-depth study. There's nuggets out of Jeremiah, Zechariah, Isaiah. There's nuggets that Jesus taught in Matthew 24 and Luke and other places. Then you see little nuggets of prophecy from Peter and Paul. Then you have the book of Daniel and Revelation. Then you've got to understand biblical symbolism and you have to understand your Hebrew roots or you're not going to get it. So what I'm saying is, is this is such an in-depth thing that you can't just do one or two sermons. You'll lose everybody. This is something you've got to do over a long period of time and do a little at a time. And that's my goal. And the reason I'm using this, the, I'm going to call it the spine of prophecy, is because there was a man that was talking about, you know, in those classrooms where they study maybe biology or something or anatomy, and they'll have a skeleton in there. And this man was saying it was really interesting he said to really set the skeleton you have to set the spine first and then from the spine you can put it all together and so that's kind of where I'm going with this name about the spine of prophecy is I'm going to try to take and kind of set the stage and gradually build from that a good foundation build from that and I'm hoping to paint a picture before it's over so um, that's where I'm going with this. It, it, it's something I'm looking forward to doing. I believe that you'll really be blessed by it. Because I think a lot of people have a lot of questions about what the Bible says. So I'm going to deal with everything. I'm going to deal with Israel. I'm going to deal with upcoming wars. I'm going to deal with the entire Daniel revelation, everything. And we're going to go bit by bit, piece by piece. And I believe over the next several months, it's really going to paint a picture. But see, that's how you understand biblical sound doctrine and teachings is you have to take here a little, there a little, precept upon precept. And it's like you have a big puzzle and you have to take pieces from different places and begin to put it together 
And as you do, you begin to see the unfolding. And the Holy Spirit is just so brilliant. He, he's used the Word of God to interpret the Word of God and to paint a beautiful picture on a canvas. But he's done it in such a way that you really have to dig in there to get it. And you pull out these pieces and put it together. But once a puzzle's done, a puzzle can really be a beautiful thing. I've seen some real pretty puzzles that people made once they were done. But until you get all the pieces in place, it's not going to be complete and it's not going to look right. So that's, that's hopefully where we're going to end up with this, okay? So tonight I'm just laying some groundwork. I'm going to talk at the end. I'm going to talk about motives. That's where I wanted to go with it. And one of the sources, one of many sources that I'm using is a book Derek Prince wrote that he deals with some of the stuff about the end times. And, and any baby Christians that may be listening to this or people that want to get a good foundation in the faith, I really recommend Derek Prince as a teacher that you get a hold of his books because he's probably one of the best teachers that I know of. And I don't say that lightly. So he does really great work in all of his books. So anyway. Let's look at this tonight, the incredible importance of the church in these last days, and in the end of this, I'm hoping to deal with motives, okay? All right. How many knows we need the body of Christ in these last days? I'm telling you. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake assembling yourselves together as you see the day approaching. And somebody would have to be spiritually dull totally ignorant of the scriptures to think that we're not living in the last days i mean this is so blatantly obvious you see all the signs not one or two you see literally all the signs happening in our time and one of the things i would mention i'm just kind of going with the holy spirit tonight but you know the bible says that there's the israel was hardened and blinded for a time until the fullness of the gentiles comes in and what's happening is is that we're seeing the fullness of the Gentiles come in. We're seeing this great harvest. And I've heard it said that in the, t the day that we're living right now, within the last couple decades, we've seen more people come to Jesus in the last couple decades than has the previous 2,000 years. I've heard statistics about that. Isn't that amazing? And so there's a huge end-time harvest. But here's the thing. You're seeing the transition starting to happen. Because did you know that you're seeing a softening of the hearts of the Jews? There's, there's a lot of Jewish people right now that are getting saved. And it's like the blinding is starting to gradually dissolve. And the, the Lord said he would pull them out from the nations and pluck them back, you know, bring them back to their land and plant them and they wouldn't be uprooted again. And he said he would give them a heart of flesh. And you're starting to see that they're getting tenderized again. And they're starting to be open to the Lord. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing before your eyes right now the fullness of the Gentiles, like the finishing work that God's doing and how it's gradually starting to transition back to Israel. And what's going to happen is that fullness of the Gentiles will culminate in what we know is the catching away. That will be the culmination of it. But at the same time, the Lord's still going to have people that are here that are getting saved even through the tribulation time. But the focus will be back on Israel. And that's where it's going. That's why you have to wonder, why in the world would the eyes of the entire world be on this little bitty nation? I encourage you to get a map and look at Israel. It's what the size of New Jersey. I mean, it's this little bitty nation. 
you know, that if, you, if somebody was just looking at it from a normal, natural perspective, they'd be going, who cares what's going on with Israel? I mean, it's this little bitty nation. They're having wars at their borders. It's unfortunate. But see, the thing is that, that there's prophecy. God has a covenant with those people in that land, and there's prophecies that have got to be fulfilled. And Satan is trying to do everything he can to stop the coming of Christ. And, and it's, it's a spiritual battle. That's why the eyes of the entire world are on Israel. Because they, there's a, such a spiritual battle going on. Did you know that during the time the early church knew that there was prophecies and they read the book of Revelation, remember the ten kingdoms it talked about? It talked about the beast with seven heads and ten horns. Do you remember that? And they knew that there'd be ten kingdoms. And then there was a, a prophecy that there would be these ten emperors that would rule and you know you remember it was in revelation it says that for 10 days and we know from nero to diocletian there were 10 emperors that really violently persecuted the church a lot of the early church wondered if that wasn't at the end of those emperors when they got to diocletian if the lord wasn't coming i'm going somewhere with this then and i'll come back to this later the catholic church has replacement theology so they believed during the dark ages that they had replaced israel and they they believed they were going to take over the world. And so this, of course, culminated in the, what we know as the Crusades. You know, They went through there and forced conversions and killed everybody that wouldn't convert. And they ended up, listen, they believed that when they conquered Israel and Jerusalem, that the Lord would come back. So they, they took Israel and Jerusalem, and, and people dressed in white and went up on like the Mount of Olives waiting for, they really believed the Lord was coming. Why? What was it that was missing in this picture? It was Israel. Israel had not become a nation. Do you see what I'm saying? That was the missing ingredient in this. That's what they didn't see. And so for you to really understand end time prophecy, you've got to understand that Israel is kind of at the, the heart of it, at the centerpiece. All right, so let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. So the incredible importance of the church in these last days. Number one, the Bible says, do not forsake assembling yourselves together as some are in the manner of doing. It's going to be increasingly important to be in the Lord's, in the Lord's house in these last days. There's something when we come together and we take the Lord's Supper, a pastor speaking a blessing, corporate worship and prayer, the, the fivefold ministry, all of this, it's going to be so important in our lives in these last days. I can't tell you how important it's going to be. And then let me mention a couple of things under that category is corporate faith, corporate anointing, corporate prayer of agreement. You can't have corporate prayer in agreement in your house. That's something that takes place in God's house when the believers come together and we begin to pray and seek God together. It's a corporate anointing a corporate faith and a corporate breakthrough when we come together in god's house and you have the fivefold ministry and then you have people coming together in worship and prayer there's something that is so powerful that our spiritual authority is increasing exponentially as opposed to somebody just being at home praying can you bring down this wireless mic just a very small amount like one notch please but anyway there's something totally different people people be at home praying and that's good but man, when you come together in God's house and you have all these people agreeing together, it's a whole nother realm of spiritual authority. 
It's the type of spiritual authority that can affect the region. And the fivefold ministry is not going to be in your home. You know, you're not going to have your little personal apostle and prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. You just build little compartments in your house. They all live there. And they all live to teach you the Bible at home by yourself. It doesn't work like that. God has his government, and he functions through his government. That's the local church. It's interesting because the word for church is ecclesia, but it's, it's a governmental kingdom. It's a governmental spiritual kingdom where people have an anointing and they have a mantle, they have spiritual authority from God to invest in you. And that's, that's a very powerful thing. And if you read Ephesians 4.11, the job of the fivefold ministry is to bring the body of Christ to maturity. So the body of Christ is no longer infants. What's, how do they describe infants? That are tossed to and fro by winds of teaching, waves of doctrine, but rather they reach unity in the faith and they come to maturity and brought to the, what the image of Christ. That's what the goal is, that we become more like Jesus. But there's a maturity that we come into that you're not going to be tossed to and fro by winds of teaching and doctrines and things. You're going to be established in the faith and what you believe. That's the fivefold ministry's job. And it really takes all of the fivefold ministry. The apostolic and, and, and prophetic are important, but the, the pastoral, the teacher, the teacher is very important. Okay? And the evangelism that's going on, the evangelist getting out there winning the souls, all of it has its place. 1 Peter 2 5, we are all together being built up into a spiritual house, living stones, a royal priesthood. God is bringing us together as living stones, and He's piecing us together to build a spiritual house for His dwelling. And so be careful in these last days because we know that there's going to be something. I'll get into this here in a moment. That There's going to be a lot going on. And the Bible warns about rebellious people that won't submit to authority. In Hebrews 13, 17, talks about obey those that rule over you as ones who will give an account. And so don't, don't develop a rebellious heart and a rebellious attitude toward leadership. Okay, let me give you an example. Over the years, I've seen personally, my wife can tell you this. We've noticed it and talked about it, but people that have really had a sweet Christ-like heart and attitude toward me and my wife and toward the church, man, I can just feel the power of God when I pray for them and in every way when we minister, you can just feel it, the power of God just flowing. But people that have had a rebellious heart or had kind of an attitude problem toward us, you could feel, I could feel it, I'd pray for people on the altar and the power of God be moving, 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 and you get to those people, and the Holy Spirit, would, it, the, the anointing would drop substantially. I'm not saying God wouldn't touch him, but it wasn't anywhere near what he was doing to everybody else. And then I'd get away from them, and the Holy Spirit picked back up again, really strong. So it is very important that our hearts are going to be humble and honoring towards spiritual authority. Not just my wife and I, but spiritual authority. People like the elders of the church, people that are, you know, staff people like Pastor Stephen and those, like, you know, Brianna leads the worship. And just, just having an honoring Christ-like heart toward people because you don't want to get rebe a rebellious bad attitude that hinders God from being able to do everything in you he wants to do. So our attitudes toward authority can affect how we receive from God. It really can. Okay. The next thing is the desperate need in these last days for spiritual apostolic covering in the earth. 
That's why I personally, I don't have to have a pastor over me, but I do. I have a pastor that, that, you know, I'm connected to that is apostolic and he's over me in the Lord. And I want to have some type of a spiritual covering over me. Um, I don't put much stock in man-made denominations because they're just man-made. They're built on politics and popularity contests. I was in them, I know, I'm just telling it like it is. And you're not seeing the Lord really raising up true apostolic and, and a true spiritual authority. It's more the people that are raised up in high positions are there because of popularity, um, voting. They had the biggest church in town or something like that. It, it had nothing to do with spiritual anointing and authority. And so it's important that there's going to be this covering over us. There's an apostolic and a, a church covering over people. And I love Psalm 91.4, covered under the Lord's wings. And, you know, you have the image there of angelic activity. I believe that's part of it. But there is a spiritual covering from your local church and from the apostolic over your local church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You may not know it's there, but when you lay in your bed at night, there is some kind of an invisible covering over people that are in their church, that there's a covering, something that, that is over them, that protects them. It's a prayer covering, for one, but it, there's something in the way of a glory and anointing, angelic activity, all of that. When you come into and you're part of a local congregation that prays and is on fire for God, there, there's something over your life that you don't see, but it's there. And you need that in these last days. You need to have a spiritual covering and not just to be out there on your own trying to make it, okay? Hopefully all that makes sense and I'm wording it correctly. I'm doing my best. So now let me read this. This is something Derek Prince wrote and I don't think that anybody could word it any better, so I'm just gonna use his. He said, responding to the end times that we live in, just let me read this. Outwardly, there is a tremendous decline in public morality. Now, just think about, I highlighted that word morality. You can't even turn on the TV anymore. I mean, things are so, you can just see all of society just going down, 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 down morally in every way. So let me just read this. There is a tremendous decline in public morality with abounding iniquity, lawlessness, violence, and moral perversion of every kind. As the Bible clearly depicts, we also see the promise of victory in the midst of it all. So let's just stop there for a moment. This is not going to be, this series on end times is going to surprisingly be positive for you guys. Because the church is not called to the negative stuff. Okay, that's, that's the wrath coming on the world and, and all that. No, no, no. In the midst of it, while we're here, there's going to be a blessing from the Lord and victory. Okay. Let me keep going. We find ourselves in a great spiritual battle with satanic forces all around in the background. The rise of the occult and Satanism, doctrines of demons, great deception a great falling away from the faith the working of evil spirits people challenging even the basic doctrines held by the church for centuries false prophets and above all the spirit of antichrist already at work this is causing all we read in our newspapers 
the social, the moral, political, and international problems. He's saying that all of it is rooted in a spiritual morality issue and, and spiritual behind-the-scenes demonic activity, violence, terrorism, perversion, and moral depravity. What does it go back to? The spiritual decline morally and the increase of demonic activity in the earth. That's what he's saying here. And here we are living in the midst of it. But where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so what the Lord's going to do is, that's why he's putting an emphasis on the communion table. Because there's going to be this coming under the blood that's going to be very powerful in these last days. And because of, I believe, the communion table and powerful, powerful revivals, people are going to really prosper in these times. I believe that there's going to be an increase of healings and miracles like we could never imagine. There's going to be an increase of the Lord supernaturally protecting his people and supernaturally providing for his people. And it's going to be tremendous. And we're going to see a bride made ready for Christ's coming. Although the, there's darkness all around, there's going to be such a glory on the church. And we're going to be at a table, so to speak, in the presence of our enemies where the Lord is going to be anointing our heads with oil, our cups overflowing, and literally a bride. Think about it. In great revival, a bride made ready for Christ's coming, though there's darkness all around. And even though darkness is all around, we're going to see a great end-time harvest of souls. The Lord knew that there would be so much warfare that he prophesied that the end of the age is the harvest, and he said the harvesters are angels. He's, he's basically saying there that the warfare would be so intense over souls that there would be no way for the full harvest to even be able to come in just by people preaching alone. So I'm going to send out my armies of angels, and they're going to break into the darkest places and get everybody saved that needs to be saved. You know what I'm saying? He was saying, look, there's no, it's going to be so dark out there that just preaching alone isn't going to do it. I'm going to send my angels, and they're sovereignly going to move into those places and break through and bring in this last day harvest. And there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe before Jesus comes that we will see once again Book of Acts Christianity. Maybe not everybody will see it, but we're going to see it. I'm going to see it. So we're going to see it with our eyes. Those that want it, those that are pressing in for it, we're going to see the same thing the early church saw, but in I believe probably in greater measure. I really do. So let's partner with God in these last days. Here's what God's up to. He's preparing a bride for Christ's coming. The great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days. The last day harvest and pouring into the next generation. So this is something else the Lord is doing in these last days. Malachi 4, 5 says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So I will not come and smite the lamb with a curse. You're going to see an emphasis on the Lord turning hearts of spiritual fathers and mothers to, to spiritual children and vice versa. And you're going to see a lot of healing of the generations. And what you're going to see is there's going to be a passing of what the spiritual mothers and fathers of the faith have to children's you know there's going to be a passing of that and it's going to be by the spirit of elijah but the lord is going to somehow heal 
the wounds of the generations. The Jezebel spirit is the one, uh, when you see this, you see, I'm gonna send you the spirit of Elijah. What would be the opposite of the spirit of Elijah? It's the spirit of Jezebel, we know that. The spirit of Jezebel is the one that, that tears up generational relationships. It destroys them. And so the Lord is gonna send the spirit of Elijah and he is going to soften hearts and begin to turn. And what's gonna happen is there's gonna be more and more of an emphasis on really pouring into the next generation. And I believe because River of Life has a heart for that, you will be surprised at how many young people God's gonna send us in the days to come. Just mark my word, you're gonna be shocked because River of Life has a heart to do that. So they're gonna come like you wouldn't believe one day. All right, now this is kind of where I was wanting to go. Does all this making sense so far, guys? The importance of God's house, the darkness of the times we're living in, and then partnering with God. What is the Lord doing in these last days? That's what he's up to. He's up to a bride being made ready, a great revival, a great end-time harvest, and pouring into the next generation. Those are the four things I believe scripturally that the Lord is going to do in these last days. All right, so this is kind of where I was going. If we believe the whole Bible, and I'm going to stay right here on these two points, and not probably go anywhere else. But if we believe the Bible, we must believe that these are the end times that the Bible predicts. Now, if we do believe the whole Bible, and if we do believe that we're living in the end times, then we have to believe that all of the scriptures are important. Everything that it says, we, we can't pick and choose, okay? So we have to believe all of it, the good, bad, the ugly, everything. We've got to accept the whole word, okay? So, even though the Lord is going to be preparing a, a bride, pouring out his spirit, sending great revival, great harvest, all of that, that's one thing that's going on. But then you also have to accept the other flip side of the coin, that there will be these things, apostasy. 2 Thessalonians 2.3, apostasy means this, people that profess to be Christians, but now have renounced Christ and walked away from the faith. Either they're an atheist now, they're, they're, they're living a, an unrepentant homosexual lifestyle, they're, um, you know, they're now a witch, whatever it is, but they, they no longer claim to be a Christian and they, they renounce Christ. They, they no longer want anything to do with the church. And the Bible predicts that there would be a great falling away. So I don't think this is going to be a small thing. If you read the scriptures, it, says, it describes it as a big move, okay? And what it is, it's the Lord cleaning house. He comes in with his sword and he's basically saying, I'm tired of all the games. You're either for me or against me. There's no more middle ground. There's no more room for hypocrites or any of that. And he, he'll come in with his sword and begin to divide. And when he does, people are gonna leave in the droves that no longer want to follow him. All right, another thing will be that there'll be great deception. Matthew 24, 4, and then 24, 24. Now, Matthew 24, 24, let me read that one. It says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise. Now, I want you to really not gloss over this, guys. I'm gonna take my time and just do a smaller amount of information as we go. I don't want you just to gloss over that. These are the words of Jesus Christ. He said in the end times, 
you're living now in the end times. I want you to really get this. You're living right now in the end times. So the Lord Jesus Christ himself said to you that you will see with your eyes false prophets arise. Okay. False Christs, false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So in other words, this was going to be something pretty powerful that had the potential to even deceive God's elect. But he goes on to say, if that were possible. And the reason it's not possible, and this is the only reason, is because the Holy Spirit will protect us. That's the only reason. He'll keep us, okay? As long as we're humble and, and stay close to the Holy Spirit, he's going to keep us. But listen to what Jesus said in, in verse 25. He said, behold, I've told you this in advance. That's not in there just to sound good. He's trying to say, guys, you really need to listen to what I'm telling you. I've told you this in advance, and this is going to be something that's pretty powerful when you live in the last days. You really need to listen to what I'm telling you, okay? So you're going to see apostasy. You're going to see great deception. Now, here's something else. Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 4.1 it says there would be seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, where I'm going with this, I, I hope this will make sense. I'm praying and believing the Lord to help me with some of this, explain it well. But seducing spirits and doctrines of demons are not going to come from outside the church. Okay, let me give you an example. If you had some pagan witches out there, and they, they, they get up and they got their big banner, we don't believe in Jesus Christ, we, we all, you know, they got their pentagrams. How many of you think that a lot of people that go to church are going to be lining up to listen to them? And they're just not. You've got your atheist march. They're all marching down the street. We hate God. We don't believe in there is a God and all this, you know, the, the atheist march. Nobody in the church is going to be listening to them. The same thing with any other camp I could name. Well, this is a warning that this is going to try to get into the church, and it's an attack to try to pull God's people away from Christ. The people that are already in the world are already lost. Seducing spirits are not like, wow, we're going to go make them double lost. You know, we're just really going to work on them. You know, they're already lost. Okay, so the seducing spirits and doctrines of demons are not so much targeting the world. They're targeting the church. Okay. So let me give you just two. I'll deal with a lot of things throughout this long, drawn-out series. I'm believing it will be, okay. But here's two that I want to show you. If you and I were to go out right now and you could look down into the ground and you see roots down there, you don't normally see the roots when you look at something. It's underground, okay? What you'll see, you'll see the tree, and then from the tree, you'll see the fruit. All right. So I'm going to deal with two root issues that a lot of people don't see. But from these two root issues are coming teaching. It's like the tree. From the roots are coming teaching, and then the teaching that's going out is producing bad fruit. All right. So this is basically just exposing a couple roots that need to have an ax laid to the root. And I'm teaching this way to protect you guys because this, in my opinion, these are very closely interconnected to some of the seducing spirits and doctrines of demons in our time. All right, the first one is called dominionism. 
a lot of times when I teach on this stuff, I think that, you know, people hear me, but, but I really want you, if you would, take notes on this and really get this and take this home and look back over this because this is important, guys. This is important that you know this. All right, dominionism. Dominionism, they believe. I don't believe this, but they believe these foundational truths. Now, it starts out sounding good. It starts out somewhat biblical and, and has some truth to it, but then it takes an ugly turn. All right, the first thing they believe is God gave Adam dominion over the earth, and that's true. Then they believe that Satan usurped man's dominion over the earth when Adam and Eve fell. That's also true. They believe that Jesus defeated Satan and took dominion back in his victory at the cross. Once again, this is true. I mean, they're right on with this. But here's where it starts getting off right here. He then gave dominion back to believers. Yes, that's true to a degree, but not the way they believe it to be so. He said, listen, they believe that Christ gave dominion back to us. Now listen to this. Then the church, this is where it gets off. Then the church must gain control of the earth's governments, social institutions, and establish the kingdom of God on earth. They have to do that. And when they do that, then, and only then, Jesus Christ will return to the earth to rule and reign. So you see, it starts out really good. It's, that's the thing with these, these doctrines of demons seducing spirit stuff. Okay, if I was to take a big bowl of brownie mix, and I mean it's good, extra chocolate chips, this is, this is a seriously good bowl of brownie mix, and I'm stirring it up, and I was to tell you, look, guys, I've only got this tiny amount of rat poison. Okay, it's only about that big. I'm going to drop it in there, stir it all up. By and large, this whole thing is an awesome brownie waiting to happen. You're going to love it. It's going to be the best tasting brownie you've had probably ever. Would you eat it? No. Why? Because there's a mixture in there. And that's what I'm saying. Satan comes in a way. This is what I'm trying to convey tonight. He comes in a way that's so subtle. It's targeting the church. It's seducing spirits and doctrines of demons to try to deceive people and get people off course. Ultimately, to seduce them away from Christ, if that's possible. So here today, this is an old teaching that goes back to Catholicism. The Catholic Church believed during the Dark Ages that they were God's church on the earth. I mean, nobody else was. They totally replaced Israel. They believe anything that said Israel in the Bible really pertained to them. They felt that as they conquered the world and took over the governments, took over the land, took over Israel, took over Jerusalem, they felt that through that conquering that they would usher in Christ's return, which did not happen. But even though Martin Luther split off the Catholic Church in 1517 and we had a Protestant Reformation, some of these doctrines still, unfortunately, found their way into the church. And so what's happening today is teachers are teaching that the world is not getting worse, it's getting better. They really are teaching that. I'm not being disrespectful or sarcastic, but if it is getting better, I would hate to see it getting worse. I'm just saying. And they, they believe that the church is going to be taking over the governments, taking over the economy and all of this. 
and that through that we're going to kind of establish the kingdom of God and then Christ will come back but that's the exact opposite view of what the Bible has of the end times literally it's, it's the exact opposite and so people that believe this way and there's quite a few that do there's quite a few prophetic circles and quite a few um, prayer circles and that's all I'll say there but that do believe this that's rooted in this and so their, their view of everything is dominionism is to take over cities they talk about taking over cities taking over regions but here's what you gotta understand the kingdom of God right now is a spiritual kingdom and Jesus even said that when Pilate was there and, and Pilate said are you a king and Jesus told him if my kingdom was of this world my followers will be fighting for me. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. That's why the Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. So some people probably that are even hearing this have had that. What happens is, is that this is like a little leaven that works through the whole batch of dough. And people that keep listening to this garbage and they don't know any better and they believe, it's like a little leaven that's working through their spiritual DNA in their thinking yes Christians have spiritual dominion over Satan over demons over the satanic that you know if somebody needs deliverance I have authority you have authority to drive demons out to destroy the works of the devil to pray for the sick it's a spiritual kingdom that we have authority spiritually yeah no doubt about it and I, I love to see that God uses Christians to get in positions and help you know a legislation different things that's great but the kingdoms of this world are not going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ until Revelation 19 so right now people that are preaching and teaching and prophesying and trying to take over cities and governments and regions and establish the kingdom all this stuff they're wasting their time and they're wasting everybody's time that's listening to them what they need to be doing is having revival and through a mighty move of God like book of Acts Christianity then they're going to see people getting saved people healed people delivered people totally set free and as they get saved then that's going to have a major effect on society you see that in Wales is one of many examples that all of a sudden the brothels are shut down the bars are shut down they can't print enough Bibles all of Wales had a great revival but Evan Roberts and these guys weren't marching around going, we're going to take over Welsh government. We're going to establish a president over Wales. And we're going to, you know, they weren't doing that. They were, the Holy Spirit was moving and people were getting saved in mass. And it changed the whole area. So this is where, this is the root that has been like a leaven that's worked its way into a bunch of dough. And now you're hearing a lot of weird teaching come out of it. And they're they, they'll, they'll sound really good and they'll use fancy words in their preaching and they sound so spiritual, but the root is off and it's off. And these are the same people today. They don't believe in a catching way of the bride. They believe that we're gonna be here through the tribulation time and that we're gonna be waging warfare through our intercession against the Antichrist and God through our prayers and intercession is gonna be you know, sending stuff down on the Antichrist. It's just weird. And, and it, it reminds me of Islam, just to be honest. Islam has a take-over-the-world mentality. And so did, so did the Catholic Church. So, anyway. 
I'm just trying to show you one example of something that is off and it, it unfortunately has bled into a lot of teachers today and their teaching is very off okay the second one is hyper grace and those that preach this will make fun of this but the truth is that there is such thing as hyper grace and I'm gonna show it to you what hyper grace people believe is that all your sins now this sounds really good it sounds awesome all your sins past present and future are already paid for all right let me read you something I don't have it in your notes, but I'm going to read it to you. All right, this is out of a book called Overwhelmed by the Spirit. Really powerful book. This is talking about in the book of Revelation where Jesus commended one of the churches and said, you do not tolerate the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So all of us have to wonder, okay, well, what are the teachings of the Nicolaitans? And Jesus went so far as to say that you, you hate the teachings of Nicolaitans. And Jesus himself said, I hate their teaching. So here is the teachings of the Nicolaitan uh, doctrine and that spirit, if you will, that was behind it. I'm going to read this to you, okay? This nefarious attempt is to mix the saints. It has been turned, termed a Nicolaitan spirit. It's a mixture. Now, before all the wonderful brethren out there named Nicholas get in an uproar, this guy's hilarious. He said that this is not what it sounds like. Okay, listen to this. This will blow your mind. The Nikolaos in Greek, it comes from two words, Nike. How many of you guys have seen the Nike? Okay, you know where they get that from? The goddess Nike is the goddess of victory. That's where they get that name from. So it's a, it's a Rome, it's an ancient deity that was worshipped, okay? But isn't it interesting that the Nicolaus that comes from the word Nike, which is that Greek or that Roman goddess or whatever, victory, listen to what that word means. Nike means to utterly vanquish. And then also the word Laos is where we get our word laity. It's the people of the church. So when you put that together, you see that it's talking about to rule and reign over to dominate to press down and oppress the church does that make sense nico laos to conquer the church all right literally it can mean i win people or i dominate over the people or i conquer the people or if you want to water it down some and soften it, just like victory over the people. But the truth, truth is these compound words convey the notion of putting the people down. So it's to put the people down, oppress the people. All right, so in Acts 6, 5, one of the original seven deacons was named Nicholas of Antioch. He was a proselyte, meaning he converted from Roman paganism to Judaism and then became a Christian. Early church leaders... Arrhenius, Hippolytus, Epiphanius, they cite that Nicholas <clears throat> started a heretical cult preaching a mixture, <clears throat> excuse me, a mixture of Christianity and licentious behavior, meaning sinful behavior, extreme self-indulgence, smacking of Diana worship, looking like Diana worship. So, what they taught was this, what the Nicolaitans taught was that your physical body had a sinful nature, but your inner man loved God. 
And so your inner man, this is what they taught. I do not believe this. They taught that your inner man is made holy and that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. And so your inner man, though your body sins, it would not affect your eternal condition. So they were teaching in a way that was causing people to feel comfortable indulging in their sinful nature in their flesh because they felt like it wouldn't affect their inner spiritual salvation. And I promise you, when they were teaching this, they were quoting scripture and it sounded really good. Guaranteed, just like it does today. So he also went so far as to teach that it is okay to mix occult practices and Judaism and Christianity, lumping it together and not making a distinction with the purity of Christ's doctrine. And Jesus himself said in, in Revelation 2.6, citing that the church of Ephesus, who had overcome Diana worship through the special miracles wrought through the hands of Paul in Acts 19.11, had at least one thing go for them. They hated the practice of the Nicolaitans. And Jesus said he also hates it. And the word hate in the Greek implies that it's completely disgusting to the Lord, that he loathes it, and there's a fierce passion against it. He utterly rejects it. Jesus cannot abide in mixture for it muddles the spreading of his fame. The Lord won't toler tolerate mixture. That, that, that's the thing that I don't think that some people understand. The Lord will not tolerate it. He will not tolerate mixture. They'll have <clears throat> some good doctrine, but they'll mix into it some stuff that's not. And it's a mixture. It's deception and mixture. The Holy Spirit may be moving, but then there's other spirits that are also at work, and the Lord hates that. He will not put up with it. And that's what the hyper-grace people teach. Now, this, is, this goes back to this Nicolaitan doctrine, okay? It goes back to some Calvinism, which I'm going to explain. But it's saying that all your sins, past, present, and future, were already paid for. So, you might as well go out and do what you want to do because it's already paid for. That's, I know they don't say it that way. They say it with big fancy words and they quote scripture out of context and they make it sound so good. But in essence, when you boil it down, that's what they're teaching people. And so what's happened is, is there is a mixture, if y'all can hear me, there is a mixture right now through the alcohol that's been tolerated in the church through the shacking up and the adultery and the homosexuality that people are tolerating now. There's a mixture of worldliness and tattoos and piercings. There's an unholy mixture that Satan is trying to bring into the church and probably even smoking weed now, it's becoming legal. And there's this mixture coming in where people say it's okay, but it's not okay. And Satan is trying to bring in all kinds of weird doctrines of demons and seducing spirits and make people feel comfortable in this weird mixture that God hates with a passion. It's rooted in extreme Calvinism. After the Catholic Church, the split off of them, the Protestant Reformation happened, there was a man named Calvin. And he basically taught that, I'm going to make it as simple as I can, if you have ten people and God preordained these five people are going to go to heaven no matter what they can do they're going to go to heaven no matter what and God preordained these five people over here are going to go to hell no matter what they do they're just going to go to hell it's all in God's sovereign plan and you just have to believe that that's the way he taught but let me tell you something that teaching right there led to 
a mentality that I can live however I want if I'm one of God's people. There's even historical accounts of people that said, well, I'm saved, I'm one of God's people, so no matter what I do, I'm going to be in heaven. There was actually a documentary I saw on a secular history channel about the Protestant Reformation that gave stories. One woman in particular that ended up going insane, but she believed that she was one of God's elect. So based on Calvin's teaching, no matter what she did, she'd go to heaven. So she just lived it up with every type of sin you could imagine. I know that that sounds crazy to some people, but it happens all the time because that has given birth to what we know that the once saved, always saved doctrine is just the grandbaby of this. It's a, it's a messed up root in the ground that people don't see. It's producing weird teaching and it, that is producing horrible fruit where people feel, you know what? No, I'm, I'm saved, so no matter however I live, it's going to be okay in the end. It doesn't work like that. That goes back to the same mentality the Nicolaitans had that I can do something with my body and it won't affect my eternal soul. That's not true. What you do in your body will affect your eternal soul and where you spend eternity. I hope that I'm wording this well because this is kind of deep, but these are the two roots I'm concerned about as I'm hearing this a lot on Christian TV. I'm hearing it a lot coming out of circles. I know that I said this, but I didn't say it publicly in recordings. But God gives all of us that are in the ministry, that are fivefold ministry people, he gives us specific grace. And somebody that has the grace of an evangelist, like, an, like a bonky. Reinhard Bonky is an evangelist of evangelists, okay? That guy is amazing. Steve Hill was the same way. You hear him preach, you want to get saved all over again. And they win souls like nobody's business. They're just incredible men of God. But that's the grace given them. If a true evangelist tries to pastor a church, it's going to be frustrating for everybody because they don't have the grace to pastor. If a pastor truly tries to get out and be just an evangelist out on the streets, and that's, he's going to feel like a fish out of water. It's going to be difficult for him because he doesn't have the grace to do it. Now, I said that to say this. Prophetic people, I believe in the prophetic ministry. Some people out there don't. I believe they're true prophets. But they have the grace to get revelation from the Lord and impart revelation to God's people. That's the grace given them. And they need to stay within the realm of their grace. Let's talk about it for a minute. I love prophetic people. I've had prophetic people really impact my life tremendously. I've had very powerful prophecies. But I'm going to tell you that not everybody that calls themselves a prophet is a prophet. Some of them have a reputation to keep. So every time they get a mic, they feel like they have to prophesy. And they've got to come up with, every, every year, 2015, they've got to come up with a prophecy now because that's their reputation. And so that's where you get, at the turn of the year, all the blah, 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 blah prophecies, and you've got to go through all that, and there'll be a few in there that are really from God. I'm just telling it like it is. And I won't have people that, prophesying about half the time they're right now somebody that's a baby christian and they may have a prophetic gifting and they're growing and that there's grace for that but these people have been doing it for a long time and they're in the ministry they need to be held accountable and you know what the body of christ needs to do they need to tell people when they're off that are i'm talking about prophets okay 
They need to tell them when they're off that you're going to sit your hiney down and you're going to be quiet and you're going to quit spouting off this stuff. And if the church will quit putting up with it, it'll purify the prophetic ministry. Because I'm tired of all the false, false prophetic stuff going on. There was prophecies in Dallas at a church. You're going to see double what Brownsville did. That church has died. It's false prophecies from credible people. People that if I told you their name, you'd go, oh. And they're spouting off false prophecies. It needs to stop. It's, it's discrediting Jesus Christ. It's discrediting the prophetic ministry. There's a real prophetic ministry, but very few people even believe in it because of that. All right. So motives in studying the end times. This is what I want to close with is this. In the body of Christ, God has given teachers. And teachers have the grace on them to deal with doctrine. Just like a true prophet will have the grace to get revelation from the Lord and then release that revelation, a teacher in the body of Christ will have the grace on them to be able to put doctrine together piece by piece, line upon line, precept upon precept, get it all together and it's well-rounded and they're able to, to impart to the body of Christ sound biblical doctrine, which is important. You know what's made me sad is I think that some people think doctrine's not important or something anymore, that we just need to be open to anything to swallow anything. But doesn't the Bible say that there would come a time when people would not endure sound doctrine? But they'll gather to themselves teachers that tell them what their itching ears want to hear? Yeah. So I think that doctrine is actually important, okay? So some of the prophetic people need to humble themselves and sit under teachers for a while and get their doctrine in line, okay? And some of the teachers out there need to humble themselves and receive prophetic ministry and, and believe in the prophetic ministry because it's valid and important as well. Amen? All right. So motives in studying the end times. Number one, we need to live as though Christ is coming tomorrow. We need to live. How would you live your life today if you felt like Jesus Christ really would come tomorrow? or that you would die and this would be your last day. How would you really live your life? See, we need to live our lives like this is our last day. Christ coming is tomorrow. Really let that sink in. How would I live today if Jesus was coming tomorrow? That's how we need to think and that's how we need to live. Secondly, we are looking for Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. Some people are so focused on the negative side of, of end time prophecy. We need to be focused on what the Lord is doing it, our focus should be on Jesus and his coming, not the rise of the Antichrist, even though we know what's going on. We're not ignorant, but we're focused on Jesus. So that leads me, keep your focus on Christ, what he's doing. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. All right. <clears throat> and the last thing I'll say, and then we'll pray for people who want prayer. Know the Bible for yourself. You're going to have to know the word of God for yourself. <clears throat> This is where doctrines of demons and seducing spirits come in. And, and for whatever reason, some people, um, let, let me take it from this angle. There's some people that are so doctrine-minded and they're so word-minded that they miss the move of God. 
And you know, there's people that are great men of the word, but they reject revival. So, you know, and then you've got people on the other side, the whole other flip side, that are so caught up in revival and the move of God that they don't care anything about doctrine or, or have any type of sound doctrine. They just, and they just blindly follow and swallow anything that is thrown at them. So you've got the goofy, flaky side, and then you've got the staunch, hard religious side. In the middle is balance. Well, you're open to the move of God, and you're open to what the Lord is doing through prophetic ministries, through revival, but you also line everything up with the Word of God too, and there's a healthy balance there. Amen? And that's where I'm coming from in this. I don't blindly swallow everything that comes down the pipe. So know the Bible for yourself. Have a strong prayer life for yourself. You're going to hear me say this a lot till Jesus comes. You'll probably be one day at home going, man, pastor says that all the time. It's just ringing in my head. Live a holy life because Jesus can come tomorrow. I'm telling you, you better live a holy life and know the Holy Spirit for yourself. See, I spend every day with the Holy Spirit. I do. I don't say that braggadociously, but I know him. I know his voice. I know his presence. I know him very well. And when another spirit comes along, I instantly feel uncomfortable. Why? Because I know the presence of the Lord, and, and I know that's not it. So you need to get familiar with the Holy Spirit. You need to know him and be faithful to God's house and be a witness for the Lord. The only thing you can take with you into heaven is souls. Remember that. I just feel like I just heard Steve Hill in my head. <laughs> I'm sure that somehow he put that in me, man. I don't know. That just came out. I just, I literally felt like I heard his voice in my head just then. The only thing you can take with you is souls, okay? So be about winning souls. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for people tonight. I felt like there's an impartation that God has released. Can we go ahead and shut down recording?